Yeah, university. actually, I think they will learn it from this podcast no? because I, I didn't tell them. Wow. I did my visa mm -hmm. on January 15th mm -hmm. and January 16th is a terrorist attack in Burkina Faso. Oh, wow. Very bad terrorist attack. Like 10, maybe 20 people die wow. in the attack. Yeah. And I had one of the one of the employees call me crying, oh, saying wow. I can't take it anymore. And it's yeah. like, okay, wow. we have to stop. Wow. Um, how has mom's passing impacted the way you look at work? <sighs> has there been times where people just assumed something on you because, like? You're white, oh, yeah. you're from France, you come to, you know, West Africa oh, yeah. and there's historical history and then people just have this prejudice towards you. And how do you react to that? Yeah, so for example... Um... What's up everybody, we are here once again chilling in Dakar, Senegal today uh, for an exclusive uh, with Matthias, the co-founder and CEO of Julia. Uh, Julia is a B2B payments platform that operates in francophone markets. Right now they started in Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal, as well as Benin, a lot more countries coming soon. And what they do is B2B payments processing. So they enable businesses to collect payments, make payments, do bulk disbursements for payments, as well as give you a card so you can manage and control your expenses with the accounting system that they provide directly. Matthias recently raised $5 million back and led by Speed Invest, uh, a fund that's based in Europe. And also they got a few fun people involved in the round, such as Edo Mendy, a Chelsea football star. Well, let's see where he goes next. Uh, Matthias, welcome to the show. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Very pleased to have you in the country of Teranga hospitality, as they say in Senegal. Hey, hey, he says Teranga. I also heard it's the home of uh, Wolof, right? The original Jollof rice. Exactly. Uh, I won't go into this debate because yeah. I know like <laughs> I'm neutral. Yeah. I'm no sweets. Yeah, you're neutral in the debate. Yes, completely neutral. Um, so Matthias and I actually met for the first time in Zanzibar, in Tanzania. Yeah. Uh, when he came and uh, we were discussing uh, building our businesses and so on. And now he says, you know what? You guys should come over to, to Senegal. And uh, that's why we're here. So here in, in, in Senegal today. So Matthias, let's dive straight into it. So Tell me and tell the audience about your background. Like, where is home for you originally? Originally, yeah. so I am French. Okay. Um, I was born in France in a small city in the center of France. Okay. Um, this city is home to, is not very well known, but for China. So we make porcelain. Okay. Um, it used to be a very famous city for that. And now it's kind of like a dead city. Mm. It's called Limoges. And actually, it's a word in French when... When you want to fire someone, oh. you say you limoge someone. Oh. It's like you send them far away. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I was born. Okay. Uh, but, so you uh, got sent far away, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, I come from far. Okay. <laughs> but um, so I, you know, was raised there. Um, mm. I did my high school there. Mm. And then I went to do my studies in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, political science. Mm. Um, that was amazing because, you know, mm. I didn't know anything but my countryside mm -hmm. almost countryside it's a it's a city but you know i lived out actually outside limoges yeah um and um like from my family my mom's side mm -hmm. is from the region let's say um and my dad's side is from the west indies okay so my grandfather uh, was born in the west indies mm -hmm. um and um 
he moved just after the Second World War to France. Okay. Uh, his dad fought in the World War and then he moved there uh, like maybe 1960 or something. Mm -hmm. And this is where I met my grandmother and my whole family now gravitates around there. So yeah. my dad lives there. Yeah. He's back and forth between Martinique from the West Indies and uh, Limoges. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, my, uh, my aunts live there, my mm -hmm. grandmother lives there. Wow. My mother used to live there, etc. Yeah. So all my family is from this region. Limoges. Yeah. Wow. And um, so my, my French sucks. Uh, I've been in Dakar the last few days and uh, I, I think it's uh, what? Uh, Je m'appelle Benjamin. Uh, did I, the accent is good too? Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. As good as my English uh, accent. Uh, so okay. <laughs> you can tell. Um, and then I... Well, Yo, I look. I need to sign up for like a, a course for this French because I tried to, you know, we were going around. And I was trying to get a taxi, and we just had to call Matthias to figure out the taxi first because I was I was acting like, oh, I want to go from here to here, and it was tough. Uh, but no, it's good. Uh, I I need to practice and, and learn my French more. Um, so I can confirm that uh, Matthias is from the West Indies. You know why? Because I've seen this guy on the dance floor. This guy's got the moves. So when there's music, if you ever see Matthias anywhere and there's music, oof, uh, you better like stand back and like ask him for lessons because this. So where, where's that where's that love for the the, the, the music? Oh uh, no, I owe it not to West Indies. I owe it well, actually yes, but for Zouk music. Yeah. I don't know if you like Zouk music, yeah. but this is what we love in Martinique. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Casa, Zouk classes, America, and this kind of stuff. But it's more for Côte d'Ivoire. I yeah. owe it to Côte d'Ivoire. Oh, interesting. Coupe de Calais and like this. Inspiration, style. yeah, yeah. So if you ever see him anywhere, take him to the dance floor, and you'll really see the dance moves <laughs> pop out out of nowhere. Uh, so tell me about the first time you took a trip to the African continent. Oh, so actually, it was my grandmother can remember because. Yeah. Um, so I went to study in the, in the business school after my political science. I said no, I don't want to be an ambassador anymore. Yeah. It was a dream, but actually, it's not made for me. Yeah. So I said, what can I do? Well, I'm, I'm going to do business school. I took some classes. I went to the University of Chicago for an exchange program. And I was kind of like, um, you know, uh, mesmerized or hooked on mm. business. So mm. I went to the business school there, the Booth uh, School of Business. Mm. And I said, OK, I want to you know, try mm. the business path. Mm. When I came back to France, mm. so I, I applied to mm. business school mm. and um, I had by serendipity, mm. I stumbled upon a French fintech that was uh, launching or relaunching a project in Mali. Mm. And, and you met this fintech while you were in business school? Yes, there was okay. a fintech talent fair. Okay. Actually, I had never heard the word fintech before that. Wow. I, How many years ago was this? It was in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the talent fair, no, actually it was 2015. Okay. So it was December 2015. Okay. I go to this talent fair. I met their CMO, mm. uh, Victor. Yeah. And it's uh, like, yeah, you know, they're... They actually have a project mm -hmm. where they gave a brand license mm -hmm. to some entrepreneur yeah. in Mali. Mm. And it's actually going great. Mm -hmm. Well, Mali, I only knew Mali from the news yeah. because of the war and this kind of like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. <laughs> why not? Yeah. Um, and then he told me like mm. they need employee number one because okay. they are funding like a new entity from the company. Okay. And they think like they have a lot of opportunity. Also mm -hmm. because this company is headquartered in a city in France which is next mm -hmm. to uh, Montreuil, mm -hmm. right? So Montreuil is like, uh, is like stuck to Paris. Mm -hmm. And this is a city where a lot of Malian people are. Oh, wow. Actually, maybe 
mm. a few tens of thousands mm -hmm. are there. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and this is your first time ever going. So like you heard about this company that was expanding that and then what? So, yeah. So to tell about the first time I went to Africa. So I said, okay, I want to do the internship there. Mm. Uh, they were not really ready to take an intern. Mm. So I said, don't worry about like paperwork. I'll just work for free for yeah. now. Uh, just, uh, you know, show me the stuff, etc. I think it was December 2015. Mm. And then I say, okay, let me pick the phone and try to find some business meetings mm. because they wanted to know if they can expand to Burkina Faso. Mm. So I tried to get some meetings and I, I, you know, finally end up having a meeting with Total uh, at the time mm -hmm. with like top management. And they say, yeah, you can come uh, in two weeks in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. Okay. And uh, I say, okay, can you book me a plane? And they're like, well, <laughs> yes, sure. So they booked me a plane, but I remember because I did my visa mm -hmm. on January 15th mm -hmm. and January 16th is a terrorist attack in Burkina Faso. Oh, wow. Very bad terrorist attack, like center of Ouagadougou on Kwame Nkrumah Avenue, which is like the kind of like Champs-Elysees or uh, Fifth Street or yeah. I don't know, like very famous street. Mm -hmm. And um, they tell me uh, mm -hmm. like it's going to be difficult to come, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, mm -hmm. Like everyone is freaking, a lot, like 10, maybe 20 people die wow. in the attack, yeah. And it's the first big attack in okay. the capital state of Burkina Faso. But I still go. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a strange feeling because you... How did you tell your family that you're still going to go to Yeah, Burkina that's why I say my, yeah. my grandmother can relate because uh. first I told them like, oh, I'm going to go to Africa. So uh. in their, mm -hmm. like mine, Africa was like... Danger, war. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Unfamiliar and yeah. a bit like in their mind, it looked like a yeah. difficult continent. Yeah. And uh, since you know they're like, okay, where are you going? Yeah. Burkina Faso. They never heard about it, or you know, yeah. maybe because they knew about Thomas Ankara from you know some event or something. Yeah. But now, like they see that there's the terror attack yeah. just five days before I go. Yeah. That was a challenge, but I said, you know, I, I have to go. <laughs> yeah. And this is how I started. And this is my first time. So tell me about the moment you landed in Burkina Faso, first time in Africa, you know, you grew up in France, coming here. What was the first reaction? What was the first feelings you had? Um, so I remember, so first thing is when you come from Europe, for example, yeah. they tell you about like a lot of disease that, have, that mm. you know, um, are widespread in Africa, like mm. malaria. Mm. So I remember when I landed, they mm. were like, okay, you have to take this medicine mm. against malaria and be careful about the mosquitoes. Mm. And I remember there was one mosquito in the, you know, there was a small bus between the airplane and the airport. Yeah. And I saw this mosquito and I was like, oh, this is it. I'm going to get bitten by that yes. one mosquito and this, this is it. It's over for me right at the and airport. I was like, I don't have my, you know, my uh, spray is in my luggage and it's, I, I shouldn't need my spray. And I was like, oh, don't be careful, be careful. <laughs> and then... Um, I remember, so I had a noise of friend, yeah. um, he lives in Abidjan also, yeah. and he was working for the French embassy, he come uh -huh. to fetch me, uh -huh. you know, we are from the same school, yeah. so I, I reach out and say, okay, hey, I'm coming to uh, uh, Burkina Faso, yeah. uh, and I remember, I take my luggage, <laughs> and he, was, he had a small motorbike, and I was with my luggage like that on the on motorcycle. motorbike, yeah, on the motorcycle in the night and <laughs> going from, you know, in the streets. 
And I remember it was like, oh, this feels like adventure. And I think <laughs> that this guy got the OG Uber treatment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> and I think it's like for, for most people that discover it's like mm. for I think like any emerging markets, mm. I don't think it's like specific to Africa. Mm. But when you go in countries where you don't have infrastructure, because mm. like in Europe, mm. you would, or maybe mm. in the US, but actually like in France, mm. you would never there mm. having your luggage like that on yeah. the motorbike mm. i didn't have a helmet you yeah. know if you do that in france you get pulled over yeah, <laughs> immediately yeah. you know wow so this felt like this was the first feeling and i always remember that like yeah. you know this lack like you see mm. like you know and very bubbling like yeah. we were in the streets and mm. a lot of people were like drinking mm. in the streets so a lot mm. of like you feel like yeah. very bubbling with life yeah but like a building world, like no infrastructure yeah. or very few infrastructure. So the roads were, yeah. first feeling was a bit down. So talk about that. So you went there and then for this job at Lemonway, right? Yeah. And then, um, so when did you move to the continent? Or like were you coming in and out and like doing work and projects? Yeah, so I worked, I worked for Lemonway for uh, almost like one year and 10 months, let's say almost okay. two years. It was a great experience. So I got to travel a lot thanks to them. So yeah. I got to travel to Mali, mm. Bamako, even some cities that now people don't visit often, like mm. Kai and the cities. I went to uh, Abidjan once, only once at the time. And I didn't go to Senegal uh, when I was working for Lemonway. But I traveled between Bamako and Bagadougou a lot. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for many reasons, I had to leave Lemonway. Yeah. The project was not working that well, sure. and yeah, also other reasons. Yeah, and I said no. I, I don't like. I only know this region, but I feel like I don't really know it yet. Mm-hmm. So I want to try to build something. Mm. And uh, I can't now. Five years later, I can't remember what made the you the know, click the spark. Yeah, there was no light bulb moment. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Uh, that I set up an entity in Burkina Faso, yeah. which actually we've never used. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, do that. And I almost autopilot, like, yeah. do that. Set and up. then do this. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And then I, for July, uh, there was a time where I needed, so with my co-founder, which yeah. worked with me, uh, Char. So you met Char, your co-founder, at Lemonway. Lemonway. Yes. So you guys worked together there. Yes. And how did you know that Char was the person you wanted to start the business with? Well, because um, first, it's very hard to, to have a technical co-founder. You know, like a lot mm. of people are like, I need a CTO, I need a CTO. Yeah. I think like, yeah, it's one of the main pain points for uh, business people. Mm-hmm. Building a tech company. For yeah, sure. for a tech company. Yeah. You can't build a tech company That's without a CTO co-founder. Yeah. I, I don't know the rate of success, but yeah. best tech companies is where the CTO is the CEO, you know, yeah. <laughs> because they know about product. And um, I think because with Charles, he also liked the adventure. He's from mm. Brit- uh, Bretagne, so Brittany. Mm. So the, the Breton are mm. people that, you know, sail a lot and mm. they, you know, in their culture, they like to travel around the world. Yeah. So he liked it. Yeah. And I think like it was kind of natural. I was like, uh, we, are, we get along well. He's uh, very strong, technically wise. Mm. He's not from a top coding school. Mm. He has like, some like regional uh, training in Brittany, mm. but is very strong, mm. very logical. And um, it made me realize the importance of product mm. because also I didn't know about FinTech, but I didn't know about product. Mm. Like the first hire we did at July yeah. was a designer. Mm. 
And I was like, are you crazy? Yeah. But a designer, yeah. you, uh, we are not like an agency, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we need that. Yeah. Because we need to have the, even if like the back end is not strong enough yeah. or high end of the back end, yeah. we need the front end to be appealing to the customer and they need to feel yeah. like we have a superior product. Yeah. But, but tell me about, so there's probably people listening to the show right now that yeah. are thinking about starting a company, yeah. but don't know how to pick their co-founder or who to pick as their co-founder. Yeah. How, what advice, like, not even advice, like what were the two to three things with your co-founder you're like, okay, yeah. you know what, I think we should work together. So I think the, the most important is that you admire your co-founder, mm. that you feel they mm. are better than you. Because mm. if you feel superior to your co-founder, mm. I think like it's not a symbiotic relationship mm. because you will, you will feel like you need to push them, mm. etc. So you, you got to be complimentary, mm. right? Because you got to have like complimentary skills. So complimentary set. skills would be the yeah. first big one. And you got to admire them for that. Okay. Like not, okay, uh, they're okay in this field. You yeah. got to say, okay, I am completely clueless, yeah. but I trust them yeah. because they are, you know, amazing. Okay. So for me, it was the case with Charles, with design. And, you know, now I'm like, I, it's, even now it happens. Like, yeah. for example, yeah. people can have a look at it because I know another fintech called Money Snap. Okay. I don't know if you know them. No. They're in remittance. Okay. You should know them. Okay. And I don't, I'm, learning, I'm learning on the job, guys. Like whoever's, yeah, okay, go on, uh, Money Snap. So Money yeah. Snap is also a yeah. French founder okay. and they are doing international remittance. Yeah. Ex-Google guys. So they had like this little sweet spot where they knew how to acquire customer mm -hmm. really good thanks to Google tweaking, Google ads tweaking. Okay. And this was how they pro went, got propelled, but it's another story. Yeah. But they, they recently rebranded. Okay. And please, money's not forbid me. But when yeah. I saw the rebranding, I was like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. I don't like this rebranding. So uh -huh. you can have a look at, at their new site. But Charles was like, this is the future of branding. Mm. And they, they had the, the agency that did the rebranding yeah. is a very famous and expensive agency. Yeah. Um, but actually it's like, you know, and I trust him. If yeah. he says that, I trust him. I'm like, no, but he's like for consumer, yeah. he knows what's going to be the next trend. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so very interesting. So let's see how long that company, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so you decided, okay, now you, you picked a co-founder, but there's endless problems, right? Uh, across the different regions you're looking at, like Burkina Faso, where you registered the business. How do you know that you wanted to build a B2P, B2B payments company in Francophone Africa? So actually we had, um, I would say one major pivot mm. because when we launched Julia, yeah, it was B2B, okay, but it was not payments. Okay. Why is because I was working in payments before I had no non-compete in my contract, but I was like, I don't feel like, you know, doing the same thing. Yeah. So I was like, I want to work in this region. I want to work, um, with it on a tech product. And when I was working for Lemonway, I had this, um, knowledge or this expertise with the telcos mm. because for Lemonway, you know, in our region, you don't have access to USSD for mm -hmm. uh, third-party providers. The right. telcos were like, I give you access if I want. Yeah. So if you're a fintech, well, this is the door. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to give you access to, to the technology. So we were like trying to push the technology. See, can we go to a smaller telco and have them open the USSD for us? Yeah. And it works on their uh, USSD. How can we do that, etc.? And, and I learned the SMS industry mm. thanks to that. 
So I said, Julia, first we wanted to be B2B, but instead of providing payments, we will provide you marketing. Yeah. That was the initial idea. Mm. So we worked on it for, I think maybe end of this, uh, end of 2017, so maybe three months. Uh-huh. Uh, we went to actually. This is where I met Patek. Okay. And they, the close was the fund wasn't closed. Okay. So I was talking to the seed fund from France. Okay. Uh, Claire Godron at the time she was there. Nice. Uh, and Tijan and they were like wow. forming Patek. Yeah. Nice. And the clo- the fund wasn't closed. But I met I met them mm-hmm. for Lemon Way also before. And um, I think like there are many issues with the SMS industry, and. Most likely is that it's like um, this industry is hmm. um, working on. I would say it's difficult to make a um, very powerful business out of it because hmm. you have a lot of cheating in the industry hmm. about delivery rates. About hmm. so, I think you can do a great company. Yeah. Uh, like I'm sure. Um, what's the name? Uh, there is one in Nigeria. Um, quite a few but the global one is like infobip or the one in so we were working like so actually Africa. i was working for I, wa- I was trying to push the ussd platform from infobip for some telcos in burkina faso okay, okay. so i worked with the infobip guys okay very like i, I brought them to burkina faso actually so we oh, went wow. to some business meetings where they were like mm. our ussd platform yeah. has twenty thousands per second transaction you should buy it because your ussd platform is going to become obsolete yeah if you put the mobile money uh uh, product mm. on your USSD platform mm. because it's like you need high reliability. Yeah. You don't want the platform to glitch or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but there is a, I forgot the name of yeah. the one in Nigeria, but some, some are doing well, but it was at the time it was difficult for us, especially yeah. in our region about the time, uh, very few data on how much customers we could really have. Yeah. So we went, we underwent this major pivot, uh, this pivot. My, my major pivot in um, 2018, 2017, 2018. Yeah, like around uh, yeah July 2018 when okay. we got the first raise. Okay. I remember we I went to see the former or the actual president of Lemon Way. Okay. He liked us. Yeah. Even though like the product in Africa was not working well, yeah. he liked us yeah. as people. Yeah. And he said, "This is amazing. I'm going to invest." He's also a very famous angel investor okay. called Damien. Okay. Pré. He's very famous angel investor in fintech. And um, he convinced two of his friends to invest, and we convinced two or three other angels from the business school to invest okay. also. So with that, we got 200K, and we said, to convince them, we say, okay, we, we want to reach this target of payments, merchant payments, small payments, you know, mobile money payments. But he was not completely focused on um, medium to large enterprise. Yeah. It was from the, the small Americans to the biggest company. Nice. We, we had no real focus. Okay. And it took one year of product development to yeah. realize that this is the best approach that we wanted to have. Mm. Because if you tackle the market of small Americans, yeah. you can just be a core or a mono mobile money provider. You yeah. don't need to have interoperability like, we, like what we are doing. Mm-hmm. So this is how we, we went there. And actually, it's a it's a good story because mm-hmm. our our um, investors, the, those first one, we just exited them. With the, oh, wow. We gave them a return. Yeah, it was. A, and I'm I'm quite happy about it because I remember that a lot of time they told us that a lot of founders screw them over. Oh wow! You know, like the angels, wow. like the success, like very successful founders. Then they they don't have time. 
maybe it's not too int intentional, but they don't really have time to give yeah. them exit opportunities yeah. when, they, when they can. So Matthias, in this last round of funding, you decided to give your first angel investors an opportunity to exit the business. Yeah. And what made you think of doing that for them? So it was an opportunity because we had a fund that wanted to come in, mm. but we could not take so much dilution. Yeah. So we were like, we like this fund. Yeah. And, he, and also we like the opportunity that they could follow on in later rounds. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, let's try to find some calories. Yeah. And it matched. So we reached out to those angels and we said, now is the time if you want. You can get not a 10x return, but yeah. you can get a decent return. Yeah. What was the return? Return was 4x. 4x. Yeah. 4x in a couple of years. That's, that's really good yeah. for them. Yeah. Uh -huh. IRR 35%. Okay. <laughs> so nice. it's like beating the market. Yeah. But, you know, when you're an angel, your uh, return um, expectation yeah. is not 100x. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, yeah. But if you can take a 4, 5, 10x, you take it. Yeah. Because you're not like a fan. Like, I think when you're angel investing, yeah. except you do it professionally. But yeah. if you do it because you are a founder or something, you yeah. do it because you want to be in the game. Yeah. So you do it because it's exciting. Nice. You want to help them build. Yeah. And it gives you commitment yeah. because you say, okay, I put 50K, I put 100K, I put 500K. Yeah. Well, you're a big angel if you put yeah. 500K. But if you put this amount, yeah. when they reach out to you, you're like, okay, well, yeah. you know, every small bit yeah. can bring some return. Yeah. <laughs> so. so tell me about the business today. Um, you know, last year you guys raised a round uh, yeah. that's been invest led. And um, where's the business at today, like in terms of traction, like you have to scale to three countries, like yeah. what's high level, like where you guys are at? In terms of like figures or... Yeah, or just like where, like, you know, you guys brought on a bunch of businesses, right? To, yeah. to, to use, like how many businesses are you, do you have on the platform today? Um, so we have um, a, a little above 1,000 businesses. Okay. So we target medium to large enterprise. So okay. when I say medium, for our region, it's around, it's starting around 500K dollars mm -hmm. turnover. Okay. Yearly nice. turnover. Nice. So that's a medium size. Mm -hmm. It can be a... It has to be a company where you have some kind of financial department, maybe okay. an accountant, maybe, you know, more structured, mm. but our product is used by several people within the company. Mm. And the more people use it within the company, the, the better the stickiness we have with the product. Mm -hmm. And as you guys were, were growing, right? Uh, I think, the, I believe the team now is 70 people? Yeah, around 70. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about people. Yeah. Um, People make organizations. You've scaled from zero or two people to 70 people over the last few years. Obviously, as the organization's grown across multiple countries, you bring in people with different backgrounds, different cultures, different perspectives coming to the same table with the same mission in mind. What have been the two biggest challenges or three biggest challenges with hiring people um, that you've learned across this process? Okay, so there's a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> with people, I mean, it's the heart of the thing. And the bigger you become, and it's the more it's about people. So your first hires is the most important, etc. But I would say, like for the hiring process, the biggest lesson we got is in, intuition is always right. Mm. So you put all of this process, and sometimes you feel something isn't right. Mm. You follow the process, mm. but you're like, by the process it works, but I feel like something's not working. Mm. And I I think people don't follow enough their intuition. Because mm. they think it's like irrational, mm. but it's actually, I had a friend told me that it's actually a uh, primal mechanism that mm. your body sends to warn you that something isn't right, mm. but that your brain hasn't had the time to fully process. Mm. And it's actually true. Mm. Like 
every time we had a bad intuition about a hire, yeah. it actually ended up revealing itself. Mm. You know, but it can be in the process or it can be in the first, you know, few like the tra trial period of yeah. the person. You feel some stuff and you're like, mm. it's not gonna make it. And you're like, let's try, let's try. And yeah. no, you should just, you know, make uh, the hard call. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's like, it's, I've never seen it wrong actually in my personal case. Yeah. You know, and people try to say, oh no, you should never follow your intuition. It's like, you should be rational in your process. So that's, that's the thing. Um, and then also defining your culture. It's very hard because you always hear founders, like late stage founders saying culture is very important because I think it's like building a culture for like 20 people is not too hard. Building a culture for like 100 people is much harder. Yeah. Because if you want to talk, let's say just even 10 minutes with each of your employee yeah. per year, you would need a thousand minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine it's not just possible. 10 minutes yeah, yeah. and the people will feel frustrated because yeah. you only talk 10 minutes to them. Yeah. So you can't have a personal relationship, etc. So you have to build this thing where people feel like they're close to the top management, even yeah. if they're not, because they don't really talk to the CEO or yeah. to the CTO very hard. Yeah. So that's what I think is about culture It's like people feel close to each other. Yeah. Without actually being right. Personally. Yeah. No, they are close to their have teammates. You ever been, have you ever been, um, Forced to make a hire that like you've regretted. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So actually, yeah, it happened. Um, and I think you should never listen to your board about hiring. Okay. Um, because it's like, it's your own process. Mm. Your body is not making your hiring. They can vet, but they should not push a hire to you. Mm. I think because mm. it happened to us. What happened? So we had, um, we were, uh, before our, not our so, last so, fundraise. So just to clarify. Your board came up to you and was like, Matthias, we want you to bring in this person or exactly. this type of person at they the company. They said, you need, to, you need to show that you can hire top level people. Okay. Because we only had, it, talent is very difficult, right? Yeah. And when you don't have money, yeah, just the equity. Yeah, 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 it's like you should give 10% equity to, you know, convince someone that's already done it. Like it's worth it. Very difficult. Yeah. So they said, ah, look at this profile. Yeah. She looks perfect on paper. Yeah. You should hire her. Yeah. So we're like, okay, let's do the hiring process. And we had this intuition. We had like uh, some, some stuff don't work, but. So in the process, you had a gut feeling that mm, like this, this is not going to work. Yes. But because you felt pressured by the board, yes. you're like. And that was okay, a fine. big mistake. Yeah. That was a big mistake because it was a perfect match on paper, mm. but it actually it was a, a failed hire for a top executive talent. And I remember when I listened to the CEO of Stripe on the podcast and she said it was the same, like a lot of executive hires, mm -hmm. they fail uh, because, you know, it's perfect match on paper, mm -hmm. but people don't follow like, okay, it's not, it's not just about like your resume mm -hmm. and how good your uh, resume looks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really about the person. So you end up hiring this person yeah. and then letting them go. Yeah, because it was a complete mismatch. It was, this person was a killer executioner. Mm. But it was complete mismatch in terms of build like uh, mingling or mixing with our culture. Mm. Like our culture is not, uh, you know, I think culture can be different. And that's why I learned in the book, uh, which I recommend is uh, What You Do Is Who You Are by mm. Ben Horowitz from yeah. A16D. Mm -hmm. And this book, he says like, mm. there is not one way to do the culture. Mm. Every company has their own culture, which is tailored to their core business model. Mm. And he gives the example, which I really like is, Amazon had to have, uh, you know, like paper table, almost like, like 
uh, wood table for their top managers to show mm. that it's all about cost cutting, mm. that you build this empire because you're very lean on cost. Mm. Apple had to have like designer table to say like, we are the creative mind and we make the best product. We get the high, highest mm. margins because we have like the best, you know, and most mm. expensive talent they are mm. with us, mm. you know? And you see that very two different cultures, yeah. very two successful tech companies, yeah. the completely different cultures. Yeah. And so when you bring someone, if you bring someone from this, you know, cost cutting mindset, mindset yeah. to Apple, it's yeah. going to bring the Apple culture mm. because this is not how it works. Apple like hire always the most expensive and because for them it's like the best, right. you know, it's not about cost cutting. It's about getting the very rarest resource mm -hmm. that actually if it's rare, it's, it's, it's expensive. Right. And so when we brought this person, it was not fitting the culture because mm. we are not in the culture where we need to be aggressive with mm. our uh, HR because mm. we are on, we don't have a lot of HR. Mm. We are not in B2C, so we don't mm. need thousands of mm. customer support. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even our customer support, it's, mm. actually, it's actually highly trained people. So mm. it broke. Mm. And I had one of the... One of the employees called me crying, mm. oh, saying, wow. I can't take it anymore. And it's yeah. like, okay, wow. we have to stop. Wow. Have you ever felt betrayed in your business? By who? <laughs> At all. Um, yeah. I mean, you get... You get um, at the basis, at the basis level, when an employee leaves you, you feel betrayed. Like, what, what did I do wrong? You know. So I don't think we have a high turnover regarding mm. that. Mm. Uh, but when you have a bigger tech company that offers double, double mm. the wage, what, what can you mm. do for that? Mm. You know, you have your own reality. If they are better funded, yeah. they put from you. You cannot, you know. But still, mm. it feels bad. Then you have like, um, I think the. Maybe the worst is like when you have, we had a case where mm. we had an employee that stole fuel. And I think that's a big problem. Mm. Um, it happens in a lot of the companies, even our mm. customers, they have a lot of issues with the fuel. Yeah. And the betrayal, Fuel meaning like fuel for the car. Yeah, fuel so for the car. So somebody stole fuel from Gas, the car at your business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it was obvious and I don't know why they did it because we tracked the cars. So we had the map We um, and it, they took... It took fuel on a Friday and it took fuel on a Monday. Okay. It was it was New Year's Eve actually. So yeah. we we're like, mm. <laughs> this is suspicious. Yeah. So like very bad, very poorly done in terms of <laughs> stealing. Yeah. And it was, you know, it felt like a betrayal because you're like, okay, we are we are not this type of company where we're we are mismanaged, like um, not highly skilled people. Yeah. Like we try to when we do when we used to do seminaries with all the, the team, we used yeah. to bring the janitors to the seminary, you yeah. know? And like, they had never been there. It was crazy for them. Like, they'd never been by the sea yeah. with all the team, like doing and taking part to the, you know, activities. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. it's disappointing and frustrating yeah. when that happens. Now, I want to talk about a personal element. So, one thing that I've been learning and seeing a lot more is Western Africa's relationship with France. Right. And some people say it's controversial. Some people are like, like it. Some people don't like it. And you hear yeah. so many varying opinions on this. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you this question because I have, I feel similarly as an East African. Yeah. Right. My historical history is my background is Goan. So south of India. Yeah. Then moved to East Africa four generations ago. Exactly. I've never been to Goa. Yeah. Uh, till today. Yeah. So I don't even call myself like, oh, I'm like, you know, I grew up in Tanzania, so Tanzania for me is, I carry a Tanzanian passport, my parents live in Tanzania, like that's home for me, right? Yeah. And 
often sometimes I get asked, I get told, oh, you're not Tanzanian. Uh, why? Oh, because you're brown, you're not black, and like all these other things. And like, it, it creates this sometimes frustrating thing of identity yeah, yeah, yeah. and question that I have I to know. ask myself. Um, and so I want to ask you that question. So you're historically West Indies, uh, and you grew up in, in France, and then now you come to Africa. And there's this dynamic of its relationship between France and like the Francophone region in Africa. How, I want to talk about it for a little bit, but how does that make you feel as a founder within the region? So for some context, I think like we're getting in very touchy landscape, yeah. which I, I think I've not matured enough to, because I think like if I look at me in maybe 20 years, I'll be like, this is a dumb guy about the subject, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I apologize yeah. <laughs> because I think I'm going to say something dumb mm. and because I don't master it enough. Mm. But when you talk about the issue, we have this issue. I think it's a burden mm. because what France did mm. is unforgettable mm. uh, and unforgivable. Mm. So even if you, you want to ask for forgiveness, mm. as a country, France cannot be forgiven mm. for what they did. Mm. Just like the U.S. can't be forgiven by the Indians mm. from you know, America, mm -hmm. this is also bad. Mm -hmm. Just like a lot of countries, Muslim world. countries that did yeah. colonization in East Africa and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, you cannot, you know, change what happened. Mm -hmm. About the issue of racism, it's still pregnant. Still mm -hmm. pregnant in the US, still pregnant in France. Mm -hmm. And I remember my grandfather is from the West Indies, is uh, browner than, than you, darker yeah. than you. Yeah. yeah, much darker than you. Yeah. And I remember, because I never experienced racism myself, mm -hmm. And this is something that black people will tell you. Mm. Like, no, you can't mm. experience it because mm. you don't see the small thing that we see. Mm. You know, you mm. don't feel it because you're not, you mm. know, experiencing racism as a this mechanism or institutional mecha mechanism of mm. oppression or I don't know how to define yeah. it, but you're not experiencing it. Yeah. And I remember I was at the post office with my grandfather mm. and people kept, you know, passing in front of him. Mm. Like, and, they, and he wasn't served by the post office in France, you mm. know. Because the guy was like being a racist against him. You know? yeah. And when I went to the positive by myself, it didn't happen. Mm. And I've, I experienced it for him mm. because I was very upset for him. Like they mm. would not listen to him and take his, I don't know, I don't remember he was posting something or whatever. Mm. But this is like the first experience, proxy experience I had about mm. my grandfather. Mm. And I think part of my attraction to Africa is because I was reading I, I did also literature. I love yeah. literature. So yeah. I was reading a lot of the books and literature about Africa from this mixed history. Mm. So from the West Indies, for a long time, the West Indies rejected any African descent. Mm. They would say, no, we're not African. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, yeah. I, I won't go into the, yeah. the, the horrors they yeah. could say, but, and it's only been since a very great, I think like the most impressive um, Martiniquese or even like French writer yeah. for me, Aimé Césaire. Yeah. And this guy is a legend in, in, in Martinique. Yeah. All the streets bear his name. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the Aimé Césaire. Aimé Césaire is everywhere. Yeah. He was the mayor for, uh, the, for the France, which is the capital state of Martinique or uh, yeah. main state of Martinique. He was a political figure in France, etc. Yeah. And he wrote this amazing book called Cahier d'un retour au pays natal. So yeah. it means like the, my, my book or my memoirs or my writings about getting back to my home country mm. Mm. or home, like where I come from. Mm. And it's like, what's this, you know, in the way mm. I think, in the way I dance, yeah. in the way I talk, what are the origins I get from this continent? Mm. 
Um, and so for me, what I see is here in West Africa, for example, you could also be privileged as being like a French speaking because mm -hmm. uh, in, for example, Cote d'Ivoire is a very friendly city. But also you see like people reject a lot France mm -hmm. um, and to some extent they're right, you know, yeah. and to many reasons, for many reasons, they're right. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I try to say, I try not to mingle into yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but like, you know, what can I do? I'm like, yeah. um, so w w the question, the reason I'm also asking this is because I'm trying to understand, right? So like if I was in your shoes and I moved from like France uh, here and like, there's a dynamic because I face this as a Tanzanian Indian in Tanzania yeah, uh, or, same. you know, yeah. in, in East Africa, because sometimes like people with Indian backgrounds don't have a great history within the region of how they treated people historically yeah. within the region. And people have that assumption for me. And so when I'm growing my team and my company, I think about that, you know, and it, it gets to me sometimes because somebody will make a comment. I'm like, oh, like you know, I, I'm not like that. But, you know, but there's an assumption that somebody creates. And so. Do you feel similarly? So, like, yeah. you, and, and can you give no, me? No, I feel I feel similarly. But now we decided in mm. our um, culture team mm. is that for any higher level, top management, middle management, yeah, we ask for dual culture. So mm. we ask for people to have culture, like to feel this displacement, mm. because I think this is what brings the the richness mm. of the company. So you have to feel like you belong to a Western culture mm. and to an African culture at the same time. Mm. Either because you were born in the U.S. but you are from African descent, mm. or because you were born in Cote d'Ivoire and you did your study in France, mm. or you know because you worked for a U.S. company for 15 years and you you feel a bit like a U.S. citizen mm. or U.S. you know man, 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 uh, like-minded person. Mm. And I think what's um, important is that. Um, it doesn't really matter, um, how can I say it? Mm. So, so for us, it's like, okay, I can say it like in France, for example, mm. the history of France is they were the Franc, mm. you know, the Franc, yeah. right? And they were like, it was called barbarians by the Romans. Mm. And the Romans, uh, César, he came and they, well, it was also before César, but let's say, yeah. let's simplify, right? Yeah, yeah. The Romans came and they colonized France, yeah. you know. But today, France, we are really happy to have this Roman yeah. heritage. Mm -hmm. But I think we don't remember, but maybe the Franc were really, really, really reluctant about the Roman presence at the time yeah. because he was like a colonizer. Yeah. So I think for now, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's like you had this colonizing yeah. because you had like a stronger power, like an empire that, or many empires that yeah. wanted to, you know, get to yeah. these countries. And it's going to have impact for maybe 500 years before it's all forgotten. Yeah. So we are, we're, mm. in a, we're in a moment now where we can't really do anything about it. Mm. No. So we can't just be positive. So that's why for me, it's like sometimes I'm like, okay, let's just stop debating. Mm. Let's just build the future because it's only 1% built. <laughs> yeah. So has there been times where people just assumed something on you because like you're white, oh, yeah. you're from France, you come to, you know, West Africa oh, yeah. and there's historical history and then people just have this prejudice towards you. And how do you react to that? Yeah. So for example, um, in a lot of 
right-wing white person would like deny it, but the white privilege exists. Mm. So, and I see it, for example, I'm in the airport in Cote d'Ivoire mm. and I, I don't, my bag doesn't get checked mm. because they assume that, I don't know, you know, I see a lot of people getting checked and really they're like, oh, uh, thank you, sir. I'm like, okay, why don't you check my bag? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, so I think like you, you, but also you get past it. Mm. You get past it. But why do you think they didn't check your bag? Well, I think it's just they, they, because they were checking the weight of the bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were, you know, they were like, okay, he's not, or maybe he's yeah. not going to bribe me or whatever, mm. or, you know. <laughs> so they're like, okay, just, uh, just go. I don't want trouble or mm. I don't know the reason, yeah, you know, yeah. many reasons maybe, but you yeah. feel this because mm. the others are like, oh, I'm going to miss my flight. And, mm. and me, I'm like, no, I don't want to miss my flight. Mm. Uh, they're not going to retain me for the weight of my, mm. my luggage. And this yeah. is just a small example. Yeah. But then, you know, yeah. skills. this is the, the equivalent of the, you know, you cannot, experience white privilege yeah. if you're or you can sit by proxy yeah, yeah because you see like why don't you check the bag yeah. of this guy and you check me yeah as an ivorian you know yeah. but um so for me it's mm. like also yeah get past it yeah try not to get this privilege so mm. for example when you're queue and they don't check your bag you just say check my bag mm. Mm. <laughs> i'm i'm you know if you're in according yeah. to law just check my bag yeah i'm i respect the law yeah no. <laughs> yeah no, for sure. No, I understand that. Yeah, and, and and look, I know it's a tough question to ask you, but like I just wanted to understand your perspective and 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 hear like especially as you're building a business in this region. No, but I make a lot of, yeah. a lot of mistakes too, yeah. you know, and yeah. you understand after. That's why. Yeah. When when I look at this conversation yeah. in twenty years, I'll be like, <laughs> this guy, I don't recognize. You know, it's like looking at your first Facebook post. Yeah, yeah. From twenty nine. Yeah. And you were like, was it me? Yeah, exactly. Um, Matthias, as you build Julia. And even think and reflect about your life, you spend a lot of time away from your family, away from maybe friends that you grew up. Um, how do you balance out your personal life while you're building this business full time in multiple African countries? Yeah, so I think being a founder is being a, is being very lonely. Mm. So you can't be a founder if you. I mean, you can't be a founder if you can't experience loneliness mm. in decisions in you know being away from your family mm. etc mm. so you got to accept that mm. right um but i would say for me and maybe there's different stages from founders mm. like i think you and me we don't have we don't we don't we haven't built our family but mm. we have founders friends that build their family and that mm. stay more with their family mm. And I would say this is why it's good to embrace. Basically, he said we're both single. Is yeah. that is the summary there? But yeah, go on. So. But it's like embracing, embracing. Oh, I'm not saying that. It's like okay, he's not saying he's single. He's he's all he's. Oh, okay. Maybe he's announcing that. Oh, all right, this is a news to me. So this is that's why it's an exclusive. But go on. It's like embracing um, this stage of your life. Yeah. And this is also why I think in the tech space. Yeah. Uh, VCs like to bet on mm. young founders mm. because they know that they can dedicate mm. a lot of their time, much more than a later, you know, a mm. later stage. I mean, like later in their life, mm. that they have a family, that they have mm. many distractions. Mm. But it's counterbalanced by mm. the fact that they don't don't have any experience, mm. you know. So I think you got to live through through this stage. Mm. And having later stage founder, they mm. also, you know, are massively successful as well. Yeah. 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 100%. More, more successful, actually. Yeah, I think they said like but average they, age of like 40 plus is like way more successful. For the unicorn, yeah. Yeah, for, yeah. yeah. But they, I think they went through this stage also. Yeah. And it's also a lonely game. And it's uh, having the worst is like, but 
That's why uh, I would say the, the, the base characteristic of a founder is a, um, a natural amount of optimism. Mm. Like, no matter the difficulties, they will always be optimists, yeah. saying, uh, it's, this, is, this will work. Again, my CFO is like, no, I look at the figure, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And I'm like, trust me, it's going to work. <laughs> then maybe it doesn't work and I, I forget. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, do it again. Yeah. Let's do it again. And, and the people that don't have this can't yeah. be founder. Yeah. And so the amount of, of, of optimism you have yeah. is in every aspect. Mm -hmm. Like even your personal finance. I know that a lot of founders yeah. and it's, you have to fake it. Like you yeah. won't show that you're broke or that you can't pay that much or yeah. that, you know, you're oh like, gosh, that sucks. I hate that. Yeah. We go to an expensive dinner. I'm like, yo, that food is so expensive. I don't yeah. want to pay and you're for like, it. Yo, you're not going to show that, but you also, and, and it's, it's very difficult, you know, yeah. and for a lot of first time founders that that's why now when I advise, I say, yeah, but. If you can have, if you can save some money on the side, like do it because it's yeah. very difficult if you really don't have an, yeah. any money to be a founder. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a, yeah, it's much easier if you have a, some, some like, you know, yeah. things on the side that you can, you know, tap into in case it's like very difficult. Yeah. How For me, I had, I had student debt up yeah. until last year. So you, you had student debt the last yeah. five years of your business. Yeah. And you just I wasn't paid. paid yeah, yeah, I wasn't paid for at July. I wasn't paid for two years. Yeah, I took a personal loan mm. so to finance July. So I put it not even in equity. Mm. I put it in current account. Wow. So I didn't get equity for that. Wow. And then I didn't get a salary. I got just reimbursement of this current account. No interest. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you talked about dealing with loneliness, and this is a big challenge. How do you manage? Dealing with loneliness. Mm, I think it's a character. So it's not like if you if you can't bear being lonely, you would not manage it. It's more like a trait. So maybe the first trait is optimism, mm. optimism, and one of the trait is like you can handle loneliness. Mm. So you don't feel like you need to have people around you. Like you can take a book, you can read a paper you can or go for a walk alone you mm. know a lot of people would not even even go for a walk alone you mm. know saying like oh no i need to so th this is the trick mm. right so yeah for me i would say like you enjoy things like are not too social maybe mm. and it's and you're okay with it mm. like you don't feel like you're missing out something because you're not with others mm. nice Tell me about what does success look like for you with Jelaya? Mm. So I used to think that financial return was not important. Mm. I used to think like, you know, it was more like a social return, etc. Mm. But now I'm more nuanced. Mm. I would say like we live in this capitalist world mm. and we are embracing it. If you're an entrepreneur, you should embrace it. You can have some view on how you know especially about externalities i think now capitalism is incorporating externalities so you are thinking what's your carbon footprint mm. what's your social impact etc but it's still at the core of capitalism because what brings or what elevates society is capitalism you know live, lifting yeah. people out of poverty mm. it's by financial return yeah. so now for me success will be like <coughs> building a great company, mm. which valuation is not fake. It's mm -hmm. true mm -hmm. because it creates economic value. 
activity for people. Mm. So I'm like, the best reward, the best um, feeling you get is when you get a customer that says, oh, I can't live with it without mm. July. I could not do, run my business without July mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how I did it before. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and this is why we are doing payments, but we also have some credit um, um, pilots, yeah. let's say. And credit is the most wonderful thing and the mo because it's like playing with time. Yeah. Payments is just, you know, maybe accelerating a little bit, you know, your operational efficiency because yeah. you're tending faster or cheaper. Yeah. So you have higher margin or you rotate your working capital faster. Yeah. So higher margin. Yeah. So you increase your operational efficiency. But credit is your ball from the future, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, Having one of the, it's not a new invention, but it's technology is bringing very interesting ways to think about credit. Mm. And I'm very excited. So it's nothing related to Julia, yeah. but I just start, I just started to, you know, learn about save no pay letter. Yeah. And I think it has so much more potential than buy no pay letter, yeah. especially here. And it's just a, it's just an interesting form of credit because it's not boring to the future. Yeah. But it's forcing yourself now to be able to target some, you know, and I think for consumer, it makes a lot of sense, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the other way around, but for, for our market, it's interesting. Yeah. And you can think about credit, not only because you borrow from the future, because yeah. you also force your behavior to go in some direction. Yeah. What matters to you most in life and why? Uh, enjoying. Mm. Enjoying. Yeah. So like a lot of people don't enjoy the work they do. Mm. And I always say, like, just quit your work, yeah. you know. Even if you go homeless or um, not maybe homeless, but jobless for three months, five months, six months, mm. have some friends help you, live on a low budget and find something that really resonates with you. Mm. And, you know, enjoy whatever moment you do, enjoy it. Mm. And especially enjoy the time with your family. Mm. Um, so even for me, like, I had this realization from reading some stuff on Twitter about yeah. the people, but... I was uh, reading this and it was really striking to me. I sent it to my father, actually, because yeah. my mother passed away two years ago. Mm. It was a terrible moment. I didn't tell my investor, but it was a terrible moment because she had a very bad accident. She was in emergency at the hospital. And yeah, it was terrible because uh, I basically see her die with my sister. So, oh, wow. yeah, very terrible. And then after I, I felt a lot like, OK, what are, are all the moments I would miss with her, you know? That because she was not old, like 50, 52. And um, then I, I wrote this stuff about my, you know, the age of my father. So my father is now not too old either. He's like 57 or 58. Mm -hmm. And, you know, according to the average age expectancy, if I see him only once a year in France mm. for, the, for the men, I will maybe see him 20 times more. Mm. So every time I see him, it's 5% of the remaining time I should see him. Mm. So when you have that yeah. in mind, you're like, okay. And I, I was saw this graph about the, who the do time you, you spend yeah. the family and it goes down over exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. And who do you spend your time with? And so, you know, if you never do something that you don't enjoy and yeah. enjoy every moment you're, you know, spending with people, even if you're not doing something very exciting, yeah. but just talking to the person, having a great conversation, mm. sharing some food, mm. sharing some culture, yeah. you know, going to the beach, enjoying the sun. Yeah. Yeah. It's enough. <laughs> yeah. If your mom was here today, what would you tell her? 
I love her. And uh, how has the passing affected you as you're building your business? Mm, I try not to think about it. So I, I was more like, I'm going to support my sister. I'm going to support my brother. And we don't have the same mother with my brother. So um, his mother is still alive. It's my half brother, that's it. But with my sister, yeah. Um, how has mom's passing impacted the way you look at work? Mm, I try not to. I try not to get lessons from it, like. So she she had a very bad disease also, all her life. So it was more like. Um, I was I was I was happy because I had set up a ritual with her. So I was calling her every day, before she went to bed, and we she would. Um, read me a poem, I would re read her a poem. So we did that for, and I have the list of all the poems we read. Wow. And actually I have the last poem we, I read her before she had the accident. And after that, no more poems. But then I said, her mother, she's still alive. So my grandmother, she's still alive. And so I, I said, okay, I'm, for her, I'm gonna you know, keep this traditional life. So I'm reading a poem, not every day because my grandmother is a bit uh, tired, but every week on Sundays I call her and we read a poem. And we're like, oh, that's amazing. Just, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, how do you, um, having your mom pass away while you're building a business and you have investors and this pressure to. They're actually, I think they will learn it from this podcast huh? because I, I didn't tell them. Wow. Because I didn't want, like, I think when you, when you hear that from an external perspective, you. You get too many worries for like, I was like, yeah, this is life. Okay. This is, this is terrible, but you can't do anything about it. And I don't want this to be a reason for the business not going well, you know? So if I felt like I could not handle, I would have just said, okay, I need to step down. Mm -hmm. I can't do both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. But it shouldn't be an excuse because mm -hmm. everyone's parents is going to pass away at some time. Yeah. You should just, but now when I see someone and I think like, as long as you haven't had one of your parents pass away, you can't feel the way that people feel and you, you, you can't, you know, experience the way that or, or put yourself in their shoes mm. and feel the terrific loss this is. And some people say the mom is worse than the dad. So when it's your dad passing away, maybe you feel the, the loss less because you mm. have less connection. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. now once it happened, then you know. <laughs> You're 29 today. Um, what would you tell young Matthias if you met him right now? I would tell him like, the older Matthias is, is going to tell you all the time that you're completely douchebag. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> but what advice after, would you like, tell young like, Matthias? Sorry? What advice would you tell young Matthias? In terms of regret, for example? Like, like just like, like, hey, like, you know, this is how I think you should look at life. You said enjoy. Yeah. Um, something that'd be useful would be, and I think it's true, like don't care too much about what people think about you, mm. right? Because you overestimate how they think about you. Mm. And it's not an issue if people say, ah, this guy, I don't like it, mm. you know? Yeah. 
And maybe also don't underestimate the small impacts or the large impacts of the small things you can do. Mm -hmm. Like saying, a, uh, like, Reading a poem like being mean yeah. to someone, yeah. you know, even like someone like, I don't know, like that seems significant to yeah. you yeah. from your status, like the, the janitor, for example, yeah. or the, the cleaning lady or the fatu, as we call it in Senegal, yeah. you know, it's not because you, they seem insignificant yeah. that every small act you do being mean, I think is like, and I used to uh, sometimes have this, you know, yeah. like say, oh, oh, why, etc. And now I'm like, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't bring anything. Yeah. It can only bring bad stuff. Yeah, this is true. We were uh, driving around the Senegal and like, he would come and ask for money and then Matthias would try to help him out whenever he could. That's all I, I can attest well, to. Well, I'm not saying spend all of your money, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, like, yeah. so actually yeah. I am bad at this, so I, yeah. I make a budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, for a, sure, for I have sure. a, yeah. <laughs> <otherwise> <laughs> giving away everything. Um, but yeah, and it's, I think yeah. it's also in very in this culture. And yeah. Like, for example, in Europe, you've lost this, or in the US, yeah. having the US in the worst. That's yeah. why, for example, when you walk in the street of New York, yeah. you've got beggars and people don't even look at them. Yeah. Well, maybe you can just say them, hi, you know, yeah. how are you doing? Sometimes can be annoying because yeah. they will try to follow you, etc. But yeah. you know, just if you don't do it all the time, do it sometime. Yeah, <laughs> just analyze them. Yeah, cool. Last five round of questions. Um, you love sports. Uh, Matthias yeah. actually goes running uh, here and there when he can. He told me he was going to do push-ups, but I never seen him do push-ups. So we'll, okay, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> we'll see if he actually does push-ups. I think I can do more push-ups than. But we'll see. I'm joking. I probably can't. Um, so all right, important question. Ronaldo or Messi? Oh, sorry. What's the question? C Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi? Can I answer that? Uh, you yeah. have to answer. You have to pick one. Well, Messi, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yo, I don't think we're going to be friends after this call. <laughs> even, even though, like, you know, for the last, last final, yeah. I actually switched off my TV. Really? Yeah. What, it was 3-3? Three, three. <laughs> no, before. Oh, okay, what, it was 2-0? Yeah. yeah, I was like, it's over. It's over. And then I go to the metro. I was actually in Paris at the time. Wow. I go to the metro and I was supposed to sit with some friends. I was alone at first and I was yeah. supposed to join him. I go to the metro and I say, okay, I'm just going to put it. It was the time where I, I wanted to go to buy my Christmas presents yeah. because I would think that everyone was on TV yeah. and I would be alone in the, in, the shops. The, in the shops. So I go and then I hear like, oh, this is, oh, Bappe, Bappe, Bappe. I'm like, what? And like, everyone's becoming crazy. And I'm doing my Christmas groceries. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. And so no one's like, you can't buy stuff because everyone is watching the match. So I'm like putting everything. And I'm like, eh, okay. So I say like, they won. Uh, it was like a close tie. And, you know, Messi is the, the choice. Wow. Okay. Uh, African Cup of Nations is here in Cote d'Ivoire next year. Yeah. Who do you think is going to win? Or who are you rooting for? So... Um, we have to cut this out, but uh, <laughs> so I hope it's Senegal, <laughs> but I'm sure I'll be happy if it's Cote d'Ivoire also. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe you guys might be sponsoring the part of it, maybe. We'll try. Yeah, we'll try. Yeah. Okay, Yo, that means free tickets for all of us and everybody watching the show. But it's like, no, no, no. no. Um, cool. And then what about, uh, what is the best dish for me to have uh, in, in Cote d'Ivoire? Yeah, Cote d'Ivoire. So... Um, for me, yeah, it's shukuya. Shukuya. Shukuya are like what is it? Um, it's a way of cutting the the. Um, uh, you can do it with beef, yeah. or you can do it with uh, chicken, for example, or actually any or a lot of uh, meat. Yeah. 
but it's the way they cut it. They had some uh, onions and it's like a bit stewed. So, yeah. and it's, for me, I love it. Yeah. And then you, as a side, you gotta have acheke because it's the like national, you know, um, um, I'd say fierté is the national, you dish. know, dish. Yeah. yeah. Wow. They even tried to have it at UNESCO, I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So acheke, manioc, you know. Yeah. Uh, or you can have aloko also. Um, yeah. It's like bun, wow. plantain, plantain. That, that's amazing. I have to try that. Yeah. Uh, he has to take me to try that before I leave. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is an exclusive interview with Matthias, the co-founder and CEO of Jelaya. Uh, to remind everybody, Jelaya is a B2B payments platform in Francophone Africa, operating across three different countries today, Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal and Benin, more countries coming soon. They enable businesses to collect money as well as make payments, bulk disbursements, and they also have a card for enterprises to issue and manage accounting uh, within that same platform. Uh, check them out on their website. And Matthias, thank you so much for being on our Build Africa Speaker Series. Thanks, Benjamin. I need to hire you. <laughs> you <laughs> better than me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank Cheers. You. Bye, Bye, everyone.